Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Bloomberg Intelligence Tech Disruptors podcast. My name is Anurag Rana, and I'm a technology analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have the CEO of user testing, Andy McMillan, as our guest today. We are hoping that Andy gives us some insights about product development and pre-growth initiatives that the company is undertaking. So without any delay, let's ask Andy a little bit about himself and the history of user testing and how it was founded. Sounds good. Thank you for uh, having me on the program. So give us a little bit of history of yourself as to how you got involved with the company. And then perhaps right after that, a bit of the history of the company itself of why was it founded? How was it founded? And where is it today? Certainly. I got involved with the company through a mutual friend I had at a venture capital firm that had invested in user testing. And that friend suggested that I meet with user testing's founder, Daryl Benatar, and uh, just have lunch in Palo Alto, which is sort of how things happen here in the Bay Area sometimes, and uh, talk about the business that Daryl was building. And my background was coming up through the ranks as first a Java developer, and then as a product manager at places like Oracle and at Salesforce. And I found the conversation with Daryl to just be very compelling. Daryl and the team at user testing had built a product that helped people who are building different digital experiences quickly be able to put themselves in the shoes of a different kind of end user and understand what it was actually like to be that customer, to use a product, to go through an experience. And I remember as Daryl described what they had built at user testing and why it was so important. I remember thinking that I've been a product manager for 20 years and I've not been doing enough of this. Like this feels really obvious. Like every product they ever built would have been better if I had done more of this. And I'm a big believer that the really great ideas feel pretty obvious in retrospect. And when Daryl was telling me about user testing, it felt very obvious in retrospect that this was something that I could have used every day, every week in my job previously. And the company was pretty early on in its journey of really bringing that into development teams, product management teams, design organizations. And so I was excited about the opportunity to, to join the team and, and come on board as CEO and, and help the company continue to grow. The founding of the company is really quite interesting. So I've been with the company for, at this point, about four and a half years. The company just celebrated our 15-year anniversary. And 15 years ago, Daryl and his co-founder, Dave Gar, were building a, an entirely different business, uh, sort of a Web 1.0 business. And that business was very much driven by the content on its homepage. And Daryl and Dave used to go across the street to the grocery store and find people that were stuck in line with their groceries on the conveyor belt. And they would show these folks printouts, pictures of the thing they were building. And they would ask people, which one of these do you like better and why? And they said the and why was always the most interesting part that they learned from. And after a little while, they decided that it would be more interesting to build a company that helped people go out and get the and why than the thing they were originally building. And so that was sort of the foundation of user testing was this idea of using technology to think of your customer base, not as disconnected from you by technology, but that everybody's walking around with a camera and a microphone and is happy to maybe share their thoughts with you. How do you do that at scale and, and help people create better experiences? Andy, this is really exciting, but I'll tell you a little bit of my story. And a long time ago, I mean, I've covered the tech space for a while. And when SAP announced the acquisition of Qualtrix, and granted, you know, I only covered a little bit of larger companies. I was baffled. I said, well, what are they going to do with this thing? And then there was a big marketing push around it. And, and still, I didn't understand for a long time what Qualtrics did. And then the 
you know, the whole concept of experience management and customer experience became such a big deal, I would say. And probably in the tech space, it was a big deal after that. But I guess in the investing world, it became a much bigger deal after that. So for a lot of our listeners and, and myself included, um, perhaps, you know, give us a bit of a primer on the product itself as to how it works. How do you get the customers or the audience? If I am, let's say, a car developer or a car manufacturer, how do I take your product and get some insights out of it? I would love to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think for framing, and I think your Qualtrics tip is a, is a good one. I think the CX landscape or the customer experience landscape is quite a broad landscape. I mean, companies right now, so many companies are trying to figure out how do I manage and measure and understand what my customer experience is when very often now that experience is delivered not in person, but through some other kind of experience, right? I mean, 30 years ago, if you ran hardware stores, people came into your store and you could ask them what they thought of your store, what they thought of the hammers you were selling them. That's a little bit harder when your hardware store is online. How do you walk the floor of your hardware store if it's in the cloud somewhere, right? And so whole industries have developed around CRM to sort of track what you're doing with your customers and, and understand your support tickets and things like that. You mentioned the kind of survey space. There's a whole industry around how do I over time measure the sentiment of my customers, right? You can't get off an airplane or do anything anymore without getting a survey about like, how did it go? And that that's important. There's a whole industry around measuring what's happening. So product analytics, web analytics, like what are people doing, you know, in, in my website or on my app, but what we're we're really trying to do it user testing that's unique is we're trying to help people understand what is it actually like to be my customer? How do I understand their perspective? And so to your question, how do we do that? We are a SaaS software platform. So in your example of an automotive company, you, you know, they would buy a subscription to our product and a set of capacity to get feedback and amount of testing they want to do in that platform. They can ask any series of questions or tasks that they want somebody to do. So maybe. Uh, you have a new connected car product and you want to see what it's like for people who recently bought your car to set up their mobile app and connect it to their phone and put some reminders in place of things they might want to do with their new car. If you wanted to do that using user testing, you would create a test plan. What are you asking people to do? What couple of tasks? You're going to ask people to opt in to sharing how they do that. Our technology would allow you to either use your own customer base to do that, or very often they'll use our own, what we call contributor network. Uh, we have 600,000 plus qualified contributors, people that are good at giving feedback, sharing their thoughts. You could go into that network and ask them a bunch of questions. You could say, I want people that bought one of my cars in the last year who, you know, uses an Apple mobile phone or whatever that set of questions is. Our technology goes out and finds those folks very, very quickly. 80% uh, of the tests on our platform come back in a few hours. When those folks get prompted, they will opt in. So everything's opt in. They know they're being recorded. They're going to share their screen, maybe their front facing camera, and they're going to get prompted to follow those tasks. It's going to say, go on your phone and download this mobile app that we've created, set up and create your profile. Now go out and connect it to your car, whatever those things would be. That person's going to record themselves going through that experience and they're going to narrate their thoughts out loud. And so what you're going to get back in a couple of hours, typically you might get, you know, 10 or 15 of these is sort of the sample size people use. We're going to use machine learning to go through all that video that you got back. And we're going to tell you, here's the highlights, here's the lowlights. And when you click on those, you're going to see real customers, real people saying, I find this really hard to do, or I'm frustrated here. I didn't know how to connect this to my car. I didn't know where I was supposed to sit when I did this. I didn't know, whatever that is, you're going to discover those insights. And then very importantly, you create a highlight reel 
of your real customer showing you what it's like to be a customer. And then you're going to post that into Slack or put that in Microsoft Teams or put it into your Jira development and whatever that is. And your engineering team is going to say, oh, now I know why people say it was hard to do this. I see real people that don't have a master's degree in computer science trying to do this. And this was their problem. And that empathy, we think, is the important thing that's going to drive change. That's going to make the product more customer centric. And then you can rinse and repeat. You can test all the different aspects of your website or the dealer experience or whatever that is to make sure that it connects with your customers. But, you know, a couple of days ago, I actually did go out and see some of the videos. So I did understand a bit of that. But, but you know, frankly, the thing that really intrigued me is how do you get those 600,000 of the contributors? So perhaps a little bit of a, you know, in a primer on what is the framework? How do you find them? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Quite honestly, a lot of them find us. We've been around, as I said, for 15 years and it's, it's sort of built some momentum. I would say in sort of what I'd call the feedback community, there are a lot of people out there. You, you might know some of them. You might be one of them. The kind of people that, you know, they go to a fancy dinner with their spouse and they can't wait to get home and write a three-page Yelp review like they're a New York Times food critic. And they do this just because they like to share their feedback. And a lot of these folks are actually very good at it. They're good at giving constructive, thoughtful feedback about the experiences that they're going through. And so over the past 15 years, a lot of those folks have found their way to user testing. Uh, it gets written up all the time. I think just in the last month, there was an article in CNBC about it. There was an article on in Rolling Stone, of all things. I had an article about side hustle jobs. We were mentioned on Good Morning America last Christmas of things people could do from home and earn a little side money. And so people come to our website and apply to be a what we call a contributor. When you apply to be a contributor, we have you take a practice test to make sure that you're good at following directions and narrating your thoughts out loud. And if you qualify to be on our network, and then one of our customers wants to get your feedback. Again, you meet their criteria of who they're looking for. For one of our standard tests, which takes about 10 to 15 minutes, we actually pay those folks $10 as sort of a gratuity, a little thank you for their time. And so it's a nice little sort of side hustle job for folks who enjoy giving feedback. And again, for our customers, they can either use our network, which is fast and easy and, and readily available, or they can always you know, send out links to their own customers if they want to collect feedback from their installed base of users. But that network is something we've just built up over the last 15 years. So do you do this only for product development or can I do it for a survey of a new product that came out as to what is the customer feedback of this new product? I think that's part of what I think is so exciting about the company and our technology is the use cases are vast. We actually ship templates. Every month we roll out new templates of things you can do with the product. We have over 100 templates that we have shipped to date on the product and you can create your own test plans as well. And so you can test anything that someone can look at with a computer screen that they can see on their mobile device or even that they can point their camera phone at. So we have customers, for example, large tech companies that are testing their home assistants and they'll have people in their homes pointing their camera phone at it. We had a grocery store recently that wanted to find out how people organize their groceries at home for while they were building a grocery app. So they literally had people standing in their kitchens and in their pantries, turning on their camera phones and opting into showing how they organize their groceries at home. We have companies that test their commercials. So they'll create a commercial and they'll post it on a secure link on a video hosting site. And they'll ask people to watch the commercial on our platform. So again, anything that people can look at, you can test. You can test things that are live and in production. And you don't even have to own it. So you can test your competitor's website. You can test an aggregator's website if that's important to your business. But you can also test things like prototypes. 
And one of the things that's really interesting about that is, you know, I, I can't, for example, survey my installed base of customers about a product they haven't yet released in the market. I can't get product analytics on something I haven't yet released in the market, but you can user test it. You could take a Figma prototype or an Adobe prototype, and you could post that in a secured hosting environment on user testing and ask your audience of customers to come give you feedback on that. And you can take that feedback right to the design team and really help you build something that hits the mark the first time. You can do the same thing with content, right? Before you launch that commercial, maybe get feedback from some diverse audiences on how that commercial resonates before you launch that commercial and find out that you really were tone deaf about something or missed the mark somewhere. So anything you can see, anything you can look at, you can user test. No, it's very intriguing indeed. So, you know, we talk a lot about disruptors. So, but it sounds to me that this is a brand new category that was not even in existence a few years ago. Now, is there a space that you're disrupting? Is there somebody's lunch you're eating? How do you define your business? Yeah, I think your your summary is correct. I think we are doing something that more often than not, people were not doing systematically previously. It just wasn't cost effective. What we do see folks shifting away from is an old model of hiring someone else to go do research and talk to your customers. I actually did this at one point in one of my prior roles at one of the big tech companies I mentioned. I was given a budget to hire an agency to go talk to a bunch of our customers. That was a pretty big budget. I spent well into the six figures. I remember it took that agency over four months to go do their, their quote unquote research. Quite ironically, when they were done, I got a written report of what a digital experience used to be like. So I went from digital to sort of analog. And because we were a SaaS company that shipped product every four months, by the time I got my written report, I essentially paid a lot of money to get a report of what it used to be like to be a customer on a version of our product that literally no one in the world could access anymore. So it was not super helpful, but what, what was useful was the idea of understanding our customers. And so what we have really done is taken something that used to be outsourced and manual and expensive. We've turned it into something that is tech enabled and really happens at the speed of agile software development. I mean, most companies are operating on short sprints, two weeks, something like that. So how do you get feedback on a design that in the next two weeks you want to ship? You got to do that in hours, not in days or weeks or months. And so one of the things that I think is, you know, a good summary of our market opportunity is I always think it's interesting when you can take something that's really valuable, but hard to do and slow and make it something that is just as valuable, if not more so, because I think, again, the videos we produce, I think are a lot better than that written report, but to do it at speed and kind of democratize the ability for lots of people to be able to do that. And so I don't know why any designer today would ever design something without user testing it, why any marketer would ever ship something without marketing it. But I can imagine why, you know, five years ago, it'd be hard to argue, like every time we write a line of copy, we hire an agency to go out and talk to our customers. They just didn't scale before. No, I agree. In fact, I was enlightened by this process a while ago when I think after Satya became the CEO, the first Windows launch that it did had a big Windows Insider program that tested a lot of the bugs before it came out. So actually, that was one of the very few flawless Windows release. And I think since then, it's been a good experience, at least for most people. Now, in, in your cases, what are some of the marquee examples you give to people when they come in that have completely changed the the way one of your clients is building something or testing it, any live examples, we would love to listen to that. Yeah, we actually have recently written a book. So 
My chief insights officer and I wrote a book that came out in February called User Tested, How the World's Biggest Companies Build Great Experiences. We have 30 case studies in that book of companies that have, have done this. A lot of those companies have also done video case studies with us. So on our website and our YouTube channel, there's a bunch of really compelling examples. Some of the ones I really like aren't just the high tech companies. Tech companies are, of course, great customers of ours. You could imagine that this is how, you know, Amazon walks the floor of, of the store is, is to use user testing. But I like ones of, of even companies you wouldn't think of as being quite so digital. One of the examples that we give in that video testimonial set is of Scott's miracle Grow. You know, here's a company that's trying to, you know, reach first-time gardeners, get people interested in gardening, get people to buy their products ultimately. And in this video, they talk about how they used to do four studies a year where they would find out what do new gardeners need to know from Scott's miracle Grow to become customers. And they've become a user testing customer. And now with our platform, they run over 70 studies a year on the platform about evolving needs, where people are shopping, what they're doing, what they're looking for. And they do that 65% faster than what they used to do the other way. And I think that's just a good example of, of how much that can shift. But there's some great case studies there. We, we've got a nice case study with Adobe. There's one with Microsoft. I think there's one with Burberry. I mean, there's just, you know, you can think of any, any company that's got a customer. I think it's a lot of benefit from understanding what it's like to be a customer. And it's always compelling to hear customers tell those stories. So I get it. A great idea. I get that. So what would prevent me to start this business tomorrow? What are your barriers to entry today that somebody cannot replicate this business? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. And I think that's the secret to kind of durable competitive advantage is sort of having layers to the things that you're building. I think one is on some level, there's a bit of a two-sided marketplace dynamic where you have to have the demand to get feedback, but you also have the people to give the feedback. And so We've been able to build that up over 15 years where we have this high quality supply of people readily available to give that feedback. On top of that, I think we've built a process for seamlessly capturing that feedback. All the technology that we use in the browser and the mobile devices to prompt people to kind of seamlessly collect that, make it very easy for people to give that feedback. The technology that we've built to help companies then analyze that feedback. And again, we've trained machine learning models on things like the sentiment and the path flows that are coming out of these videos. We process an enormous amount of content. Last year, over 20 million minutes of user testing video was run through on our platform. All of it, you know, narrated, tagged, you know, has path flows with it, tasks against it. And so we use that to train a machine learning model to help people get those moments of insight, to help people sort of go through all that content that comes in off the platform. And then think of all the distribution of that content, the integrations and things that we've built as part of processes for how people build modern products, modern marketing campaigns, I think really creates a unique platform that we have at user testing that I think would be very hard to sort of start from zero where you don't have the test or the contributors. And if you don't have the test or the contributors, you certainly don't have the machine learning models to get to the moments of insight, pretty challenging to replicate. You know, I, you know, before you said it, I was thinking about the two-sided market as well in my head. Now, in the grand scheme of things, when you are in this market, who are your top competitors in the place? And how have you been, you know, if you win a deal, why do you win a deal? Or if you lose a deal, why do you lose a deal? Then? Yeah, I think this is true of a lot of market makers. I mean, we are very much what is often called an evangelical sale. As we were mentioning earlier, most folks that we are bringing onto the platform weren't using something else before. They might've been using an agency. They're really discovering us for the first time. And so this is not a business where, you know, 
We're answering RFPs all day long and competing against three other people that are applying for that same RFP. It is an evangelical sale. We're in showing people, look, you can get feedback from your customers very quickly in a deep, meaningful way that can impact the way you build, whatever that is, the product, the marketing experience, things like that. So that's, that's our motion is, is largely going in and creating the opportunities that we're closing. I think of us today, you know, every business has constraints. I'm a big believer in the theory of constraints is sort of one of the ways I run the business. And I think our main constraint at user testing is not competitive, it's awareness. It's that most people do not know, much like I didn't. Again, I'm a 20-year product veteran and some of the biggest software companies in the world did not know about user testing four years ago. That is true of so many of our customers that, you know, we're not the mobile version of something they were already doing or the cloud version of something they were already doing. They sort of go through this moment of disbelief of like, wow, that's my real customer very quickly going through and showing me the app. And then, okay, now... How do I connect this into my process? How do I do this at scale? How do I share these videos? What should I be doing? That's what our sales cycle really looks like. It's not really, hey, you've been doing this for a while. Let me tell you why we're a slightly better mousetrap than the person you bought the last, last mousetrap from. Now, fair point. Let, let's talk a little bit about your customer base. You know, most software providers have either a SMB, you start with a small, then then medium, and then enterprise. How's your journey been? What's your breakdown of, you know, either revenue or however you want to break it? the small market, mid-market, and the large market? Yeah, we service every segment in the market. All of it is done on an annual contract basis. So we're not a, like a try and buy month-to-month -month kind of product, in part because when you deploy user testing, you're putting in templates and connecting into your processes and, and things like that. But we do sell to very small companies all the way up to you know the largest companies in the world. We went public in November of 21. And in that one, we went through and disclosed that our customer base spans the full gamut, but we have 350 customers at the time, roughly of the IPO, if I remember correctly, that were uh, spending more than 100K with us on an annual basis. Bit of an artificial line that we drew. There's no magic to 100K, but it was sort of a way to denote sort of enterprise level spend. And at the time of the IPO, we had nine customers that spent over a million dollars with us. And we've since talked about on some earnings calls that, you know, we have customers that spend three, four, five million dollars a year with us. Very much a land and expand kind of motion, but that's true in every segment. So if you're a, you know, a, a small startup that got some VC funding that's trying to find product market fit, you know, you might come onto our platform and spend, you know, 15, 20K, something like that, get a license and, and optimize the product that you're building. If you're one of the largest brands in the world, you might have 20, 30, 40 teams on the platform and really be doing this at massive scale. No, fair point. So if I'm a small customer, I start with this, and then how do I grow over time? Do I buy more seats, more capacity? How does it work? Yeah, I think that's part of what's exciting about the business is when folks grow with us, and again, we have a very strong land and expand motion. It is all of those things. It can be within the team that bought it, buying more seats and, and getting more people on the product. It is also more capacity that they're buying. They're just doing more testing. But it's also a lot of cross-sell. These videos, you know, get shared. And, you know, the, the mobile development team creates some user testing videos and they're at the stand-up and they show it. And the, you know, the payments team is like, hey, that looks really interesting. Like, where'd you, where'd you get that from? And then the payments team does it. And the marketing team says, hey, like we were working on some content for the payments team and we should be testing our content. And so we sort of land and expand not only with the team we're selling to, but as the use cases grow. You know, we go into more and more teams and we even do more and more use cases within the teams we're in. So, you know, that mobile team in my example I mentioned might have initially bought us to do 
pre-launch testing of prototypes, but later on they're doing competitive testing. Later on, they're doing some pricing testing, whatever that might be. And so we expand in a lot of different ways in an organization. Have you had to do like major changes to your sales setup because of it? I mean, all of us follow a company closely called DocuSign where, you know, they went to a similar story a while ago and then had to spend a lot of money hiring smart salespeople. What's your vision or, you know, on that in terms of the sales setup? Yeah, we're definitely sales led. And I think it's been very productive for us when we look at things like our payback period and stuff like that. So we're definitely sales led. I think it's important when you're in an evangelical selling motion that you're in there showing customers the value. And again, for us, it's helping it get deployed into their workflows and how they're, how they're you know, running their business. We don't have a highly specialized team per se, uh, but as we grow, you know, we resegment territories, we do a bit of land and expand, kind of split up. We do segment by you know, SMB, mid-market enterprise, things like that. We've been expanding geographically. So we've recently been ramping up a team in Europe and a team in Asia Pacific and things like that. But I don't think there's any, you know, secret sauce to how we're organizing our sales organization. I, I think it is a product that when you see it, you kind of go like, oh, that makes sense. And so for us, it's really just about, you know, getting in front of those customers, showing them the product, letting them get their hands on it, getting it connected into their workflows, and then sort of letting it grow. So part of what I have seen over the years and part and parcel of growth is exactly where the path that you suggested or, or talked about. But then the next phase usually is you focus on one particular industry. You know, you go out all in in the healthcare industry and, and create best practices, reduce the cycle time, what you're going to sell, create maybe an industry-specific product and so forth based on whichever vertical it is. How is that shaping up for you in terms of product development? Yeah, I certainly think... I could envision a future where we do something like that. I think it's a little ways out for us. Our product is so broadly applicable at its base level. Would you say to somebody like, would it be useful to see the person you're building this for use the thing that you're building? I mean, it isn't really refined to a, a high-end industry pitch. We did do things like recently announced our HIPAA compliance. So, you know, if a, to your example of a healthcare company wants to use our product, they can do that. But, you know, we have a very broad-based product. When you look at our website, you look at the logos that people were selling to, it is everybody from, you know, high-tech companies to B2B companies, to automotive, to financial services, to, I mean, we even had, you know, quick service restaurants testing their DoorDash experience during COVID, where they were trying to see what it looked like to buy from their restaurant through a website they didn't even run. So, you know, there's a lot of use cases, and I don't know that they're highly specialized yet. And again, the templates really help sort of bring to light for different customers the, the different value. But, you know, as every sales team grows, one of the things you're always doing as a leader is saying, how do I optimize? I think one of the smart optimizations for sales-led companies at some point in time is verticalization. You just create more specialization and common stories and common use cases. So, you know, I certainly wouldn't say that's something we wouldn't do in the future, but, you know, the opportunity is so large right now that we're going after at a sort of, sort of core level. We haven't really verticalized either the product or the sales team. No, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you did bring up COVID and what we saw, we, you know, we follow Shopify as well. Both Shopify and DocuSign saw a massive pull forward in demand. And now they are going through the pains of, you know, matching that. And then, you know, I'm sure they'll recover sometime down the road. But what, how did your business change in COVID and how did the buying behavior change during that time? I certainly won't comment on their businesses, but I do think there's some difference between a pull forward of the total addressable market versus, you know, pull forward of awareness. I mean, we definitely saw more companies being aware that not only did they have to build more digital experiences, 
but they had to really understand changing consumer sentiment more rapidly. I mean, we had airlines testing, you know, what messaging would make people feel comfortable booking an airline ticket in the future. We had hotels testing what, what safety messages made people feel nervous versus made them feel comfortable. We had a, a, a retailer had our contributors driving through mock-ups of their curbside pickup and with their camera phone from the passenger seat, showing them what curbside pickup would look like at different locations. So there was definitely a, a pull forward of awareness. I still think that, you know, the TAM for our product, and we're in such an early moment in time, I don't really think of it as being a shift of the addressable market demand. Um, I, obviously, you know, economic headwinds make it harder for everybody to work through deals. So I'm also not saying we're immune to any kind of economic headwind that happens. But I definitely don't think we've seen like a market displacement that shifted from one period to another. I think we saw an awareness opportunity that we leaned into. But I still think for us, a large majority of our market is, you know, untapped and yet to be addressed. I'm glad you mentioned a 15-year operating history because you've seen at least two recessions in the past. And it sounds to me a, I mean, a bit of the budget could come from marketing and advertising for any company in the area where you're exposed to, which is usually the first to be cut off when you get into poor economic times. Perhaps take back us into time, you know, back in the 09, 010 timeframe or even during the early parts of COVID. How do customers behave and how soon do they come back then? I think one of the things about being an evangelical sale is you also have to find the budget. So we have, even in good times, when somebody goes, oh, I'd never heard of you all, I'm really interested. What they don't say is, and I've got a line item here in my budget, I've been waiting to spend on this. And so I think we're traditionally pretty good at helping people build, you know, a near-term ROI value proposition of why they should bring user testing in-house. For marketing teams, which we sell a little less into than I would say sort of R&D and product development, but for marketing teams, it's often that expensive sort of agency displacement, right? Instead of a high-end focus group, you're going to user test it and get that feedback. And there's some pretty good ROI there. For our buyers in the product development process, we have some very clear ROI models where we explain, you know, if you take an R&D team with, let's say, a, a $26 million R&D budget, which is not a huge R&D budget when you think of the cost of software developers, and you're doing two-week sprints, that means every sprint is a million-dollar bet. So if we could help you user test your prototypes and your designs before you launch that sprint, and we can make every million-dollar sprint better. If we could save you from even a sprint or two, you're way ahead on your investment in user testing. And so in harder times, we lean on that cost-saving focus, the ROI of, you know, how do we help teams have more confidence in where they're putting their resources, what campaigns they're building, what product they're building? Because ultimately, especially for product organizations, their biggest expense is the people. It's the software engineers, the designers, the product managers. And I think we have a pretty clear message of how do we make those folks more effective? So this question I usually ask for all of younger companies like yourself, because, you know, we follow Salesforce, for example, or Workday or any of the larger companies that own a massive platform. So if I'm using a Salesforce platform to do customer service, for example, why wouldn't just Salesforce build something like what you have and include it in the bigger package and, you know, bundle it and then, you know, make life difficult for you? Yeah, I always tell folks when you're building something, if you're building something that the largest, most strategic software companies in the world will never find interesting, you should really look in the mirror and decide if the thing you're building is interesting. So I don't know why to date, other than, again, I think we're awareness constrained that, that you don't hear those large companies talking more about this. I think that will emerge over time. Our goal is to make this a bigger part of how people 
build experiences for customers. I think that means we'll be playing in the ecosystems of those big providers. I'm okay with that. I think the product and the technology that we've built is highly specialized. I think the everything from how we find the participants to the fact that we have the participants to all the tech that we use to capture these narratives, to analyze these narratives, to help people go through and pull all that together. I think it creates opportunity for us to partner with those firms on the long and kind of see where the industry goes. But I agree. I think, how do you have a customer 360 without understanding what it's like to be a customer? Uh, How do you have a platform for creating designs if you don't have a way for those designs to be put in front of customers and provided reviews? And so I definitely think we're onto something very valuable. Our goal is to create the market. I mean, in our S1, we had the TAM at $42 billion. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity out there. I think if we can stay focused on building the best technology to make it the easiest for customers to go get that feedback, you know, then I like our chances to win a large portion of that market. Yeah. And the other part of this is you also mentioned, you know, somebody where you partnered like partner with Adobe and a few other companies. So, so explain to me that if I'm using their product, how do you come in between and how do you make it seamless so I don't have to jump between windows trying to figure out my workflow or disturbance in my workflow? Yeah. So one of the great things about our product, and maybe it's because we started off as a product that helped people with, with usability and UX and things like that, is I think it's quite thoughtful the way we've gone about enabling people to include our products in a workflow that often involves testing some kind of content or thing you've built. And so it's very easy to sort of take any URL addressable asset and put it into our platform and and get feedback on it. We create a set of templates and audiences or our customers will create their own templates and audiences. So it's very easy if you're a, you know, you're a designer, you're spending your days in Adobe's product suite, for example, it's very easy for you to say, okay, I want to get user testing feedback on this. What's the template I want to use? And maybe again, maybe my UX research team has created that template for me. What audience do I want to use? Most product teams have an audience. Like there's, you know, There's Susan, who's got, you know, eight kids and lives in the Midwest or whatever they're, you know, they all have these personas. So we we help them create a, you know, a reusable persona they can go get and they launch. And then again, we help them analyze all that with what comes back on the platform. Very often they'll plug that then into a workflow tool. So in the Adobe world, you know, you'll connect that into something like Workfront, which might be being used to sort of orchestrate all the work that's being done. In the product development world, that might get plugged into something like Jira or Confluence, where you want to share the results of what's going on. So very easy for you to take you know, the URLs for these video assets we're creating and plug them in. We manage secure sharing and all the kind of stuff that enterprises need to be comfortable doing that. And so that's, you know, how you see us partnering with these folks. Maybe the other one I would mention is I've talked about our own contributor network. We also have this kind of smart technology that allows you to create a link that we call invite network. And, you know, I could send you one of these links, you can click on it and you're now in a user test. It's really easy to do and you get prompted for tasks. So you'd imagine every customer database company, it's an interesting partnership for us because what we can really do is help them turn that customer database into a resource for collecting this kind of feedback where you could be doing a list pull and maybe you're sending out to your top customers like, hey, Andy, you're one of our premium flyers. How would you like to give feedback to our design team on the new version of the mobile app we're working on? And it's, I think that's part of what's exciting about this is it's this idea of opt-in feedback as a high value touch point with your customer. It's not just, you know, did you like your flight or not? It's like, hey, Andy, you're one of our top flyers. You use the mobile app all the time. Tell us what you'd like to be better. And customers love that. They love to feel heard. So again, to that kind of idea of a customer 360, I think the idea of being able to ask your customers to share what it's like to be a customer, to give feedback on things is sort of an important part of that. 
So within that framework, in the software world, SIs or system integrators have a very major role and they help evangelize any software company. You know, what's your relationship with that world right now? And, you know, is that something that's going to be a bigger part of your, I guess, professional services down the road? Yeah, I think that is a bit of an untapped opportunity we've just started to lean more into. I don't think historically we had spent as much time as we should with SIs, in part because our product is extremely easy to roll out. So you're not going to make a lot of money as a systems integrator deploying user testing. I mean, it's really easy to do. What is really interesting to systems integrators, though, is when you roll out user testing, what every company discovers is I have all these gaps in my product experience or my customer experience or my mobile experience. I need to fix all those gaps. And so, you know, for SIs, I sort of think of helping roll out user testing is like planting a little project money tree because, uh, you know, the first thing it does is it illuminates all these things that need to get fixed. And that's where the SI can come in and say, let's think about how we might rebuild part of your mobile app. Let's think about how we might change the checkout flow. Let's think about how we create a better connected customer experience. And so that's how we see SIs sort of starting to use the platform more and more as sort of a way to partner with the SI to help their clients create better experiences and to sort of think about how they you know, stack up and benchmark in their industry. In the previous discussion, you used the word persona and takes me to a bit of another interesting topic, which I don't care much about, but, but let's dive into the metaverse anyway. You know, that's an area where we're going to have a lot more product development coming up. H how does your product fit in and, you know, what kind of work you're doing over there? I think the metaverse is a good example of how we help companies understand consumer behavior in emerging trends that might not be inherently intuitive to everybody in the company, right? There are so many businesses right now that are running around trying to figure out what are our customers going to do in the metaverse? And they've got a room full of people who spend absolutely zero time in the metaverse. And so what we do, and we actually shipped some templates earlier this year, is we help companies go out to an audience of folks that use the metaverse to be able to ask them a bunch of questions about how they would interact with products and services that they might build. But to capture that in a way, again, this sort of opt-in video feedback where you can walk a mile in somebody's shoes and then share that around the organization. You can help align all these folks that don't spend time in the metaverse on what's it like to be somebody who spends time in the metaverse. And you end up with, again, a video rendering and we can capture what's shown on the headset and you can see the person with the headset in their living room, like awkwardly wandering around. And you get this video back and you can share it around your company. You can say, oh, this is what it's like to be our customer who would be in the metaverse. And these are the things they would care about. It's really about building empathy with people that have different behaviors, attitudes, perspectives than you would have as a team. And we see this all the time with management teams. It's one of the big challenges of becoming a more senior leader is how do you stay grounded and have empathy for people that have a very different perspective than you have? And I feel like the metaverse is just a really interesting, like almost initially physical manifestation of that of people buying these headsets. And then the city of like a whole different world that these folks are in. And so how do you you know, if you're a C-level executive team at a big financial institution, how do you make the right moves in the metaverse? My guess is it's probably not sitting in your conference room guessing. It's <laughs> trying to understand what your customers want in the metaverse. And so we offer sort of a unique way for people to go out and collect that feedback, but also then distribute it and relate to it. I think that's the really important part of it. That's hard if you're just paying for a market research report and reading it at your desk. Yeah, I'm, I'm not looking forward to doing anything in the metaverse. But one of the things that I would say is the big differentiator you said when we initially talked about 
the moat around your business was one is the network and other one is your technology. And, you know, for a lot of companies like yourself that has a lot of data, at the end of the day, it boils down to how bet, how good your AI is to figure out trends and give some insights. Perhaps, you know, dive a little bit in, in the engineering world and say, what have you done in that area? And what are some of the initiatives that you're working on that will, you know, surprise customers down the road? I think one of the things that's really compelling and interesting about the data that our product collects, we actually call the, the data that we collect a customer experience narrative. So if you sort of pull that apart, I've been sort of interchangeably calling it a video, but it's a lot more than a video. A customer experience narrative is a user who has opted in and is sharing all kinds of things with you. They're following a test plan. So we know what they were supposed to go do. We asked them to go to this website, go do this thing. We collect the click data, like what did they actually do? Where did they go? We're capturing the screen recording. You know, what did they see? What did it look like while they did it? Uh, for a lot of tests, they'll be asked to turn on their front facing camera if they want to. And so you're capturing the physical expression of people doing it. And then importantly, they narrate that experience out loud. They're talking the entire time, their thoughts and their feelings. And a lot of our product is used by researchers. And so these researchers then also tag these videos. So again, I mentioned last year, we collected 20 million minutes of these customer experience narratives. So again, not just a video, it's a narrated video with multiple video captures, the click capture against the test plan. But it's also last year, we had about 7 million tags created against that content. So we take all of that content and we use that as training data to train a machine learning model on user behavior on different kinds of apps and websites. And so when you get your customer experience narrative back from user testing, we pre-annotate all of those where we transcribe the narration and we tell you when they're frustrated, moments of delight, if they're searching for info, we actually lay out the paths, where did all your users go, which ones were frustrated, which ones were working. And what that allows you to do is sort of navigate through these videos and these narratives very efficiently to sort of get to those moments that matter quickly. And so the machine learning models help us not only collect the feedback quickly, but to analyze the feedback quickly. So again, so you could be at breakfast with a new design, you launch your user test, you know, before lunchtime, typically you've got your, you've got your narratives back, but we've used machine learning to tell you what was interesting about these narratives. And you can very quickly be pulling together that highlight reel sharing it with your design team, your engineering team, whatever. And so I think it's really compelling tech and a really interesting way to get people to the moments that matter most in a very unstructured content set. You know, you use the word researchers. Is this becoming big in the, you know, educational area? We've not done a ton. We have some universities that use us in a variety of courses. Sometimes it's around design. We actually have some MBA courses that use us and they'll do it in their case study work. When you're trying to go out and understand a market, you'll use user tests and go talk to people uh -huh. that, that use these things. But I would say to date, it's not a huge vertical for us. One of the video case studies on our website that's very good is the Notre Dame Innovation Lab going through how they use user testing. But, you know, I think, you know, I use the term researcher to mean anybody who's curious about what a user or a person does, there's a certain aspect of collecting qualitative style feedback on our platform that's really quite interesting. No, it's fair enough. No, this has been very interesting. My last question to you is, you understand your market very well. Are there any white spaces that you would like to fill either through acquisitions or building it yourself? And what's kind of your philosophy when you really do think about that? Yeah, I think one of the both great and challenging things about going into what I think is a really wide open new market that we're creating 
is there aren't typically a bunch of people around you if you want to grow inorganically. Like, I think we have a really unique asset. We have a really unique set of technology. We have a really unique problem we're solving. And again, that's great unless you want to try to go grow inorganically. There's often not a lot of stuff around you that you want to go buy. I think most of the adjacent markets to us are really crowded, very competitive, challenging markets. And my market, I think, is this really big opportunity that I'm uniquely positioned to go after. So we're pretty focused on that market opportunity today. I, I got a lot of background in m and haven't worked at companies again like Oracle and Salesforce that do lots of that. Like, you know, as you create a market, other companies pop up that can be interesting. I certainly think we have a management team that could could do, you know, M&A and, and things like that as we see interest. But right now, our focus is really just on educating the market. I think more than anything else, you know, what we can do to, to show people what's possible, to tell our story. Um, I think that's the secret to, to our growth is, is really thinking about how to get more awareness in the market as much as anything else. No, this is excellent. This has been a great discussion. I think I'm going to go ask my boss for some funding for the next iPhone launch and the user behavior on that. So thanks again for your time and look forward to having you next year. Certainly. We'd love to have you get some user testing feedback on some of the companies you talk about. So let us know. We're happy to help you out. Great. Thanks so much.